It's Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. The Biden administration is proposing a $74 billion top-line budget for civilian agency IT in its 2024 budget request. The budget, released Thursday, would be a nearly $9 billion and 13% increase over requested levels for fiscal year 2023. The White House is also requesting more than $500 million to support federal customer experience offices and initiatives for fiscal year 2024. The budget request includes plans to stand up or expand nine CX offices at the agencies across the federal government. The administration also looks to hire 120 full-time employees to staff those offices. You can read more about these stories and more at fedscoop.com. Network modernization is a critical step for digital transformation at government agencies. Colton O'Malley is deputy commander at the U.S. Army's Command and Control Support Agency. He joined me to explain how his agency is leveraging cloud technology and securing their network. Uh, Adoption of the cloud has really uh, taken us, you know, sort of into the future, right? Uh, It's allowed us to uh, scale more efficiently, right? The Army is a big place. We have a lot of users. And so uh, prior to us adopting the cloud, we, we had a really big problem with bandwidth, right? Because you have all these people trying to use the same compute and we had all of these legacy on-prem data centers. And so adopting the cloud has allowed us to leverage industry partners that can build to scale because they, their, their whole business model is around scale. And so that, that allows us to dynamically ramp up the utilization of compute uh, as we are, you know, just doing our daily business functions, uh, which has been huge, right? And and uh, that became really apparent during COVID, right? And now we're just sort of riding that success train um, from from the, some of those technological wins that we got to to support the dispersed workforce. And continuing along that line, what are some of your top priorities over the next year to improve the performance and scalability of your networks? And how will you think about things like cost versus value as uh, that plays into those acquisition plans? So I think some of the top priorities now are are getting a better understanding of um, what kind of costs can we start to avoid, right? Because Initially, when we scaled, we were like, we just need bandwidth, 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 bandwidth. And now we're looking back at it and we're saying, okay, like we've been really successful with the distributed workforce. So how can we keep taking the success? And, and how can we, we look at it from like a really a lot more dynamic perspective and say, okay, we distribute our workforce really well. Do we still need to keep doing all these on-prem things, right? And so, so that's where we're really looking now to say, where is our cost avoidance, right? But but the funny thing is, it's not, it's not even just on the network side. It's, it's also on like, how are we utilizing physical resources, right? Like printing, right? We, we were like, holy cow, we saved, you know, to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars just on not printing because we had so many people dispersed, right? So there's a lot of these uh, interesting things that are coming out of the woodwork that are allowing us to focus and say, okay, like we're really getting some big gains here. Let's keep running with these. You know, I'd imagine, you know, with all of that included, uh, security is going to be something you're focused on, especially with all the mandates out there recently and the push to zero trust and things of that nature. So what additional right. steps might you be taking to build that greater security into your network? 
So right now, I know there's a pretty large effort to build out like a centralized uh, security incident event monitoring tool, right? And so what that allows us to do is take all the telemetry from across the Army's enterprise and put it under the housing of one tool, which would then allow all the disparate units to then look through one tool. Uh, and the telemetry from, from across the globe really gives you a lot of insight, right? Because adversaries are always hitting our net no matter what, right? And it's not always just nation state adversaries. It could just be someone looking to make a buck. Um, and so, so from that perspective, you know, being able to deploy a centralized SIM is what it's called, um, has, has really kind of opened our eyes to the aperture to like, okay, there's a lot that we can get from this. Uh, and then we've also been leveraging a lot of the cloud native technologies uh, to support, you know, bring your own device, um, all these other different enabling capabilities. And we're finding that we're, we're able to secure them really well because there's, there's um, a lot more that we can do in a native cloud environment that scales really fast, right? And scale is like the name of the game. So uh, that's been huge. And then finally, you know, things move quickly in the tech world, especially with application development. So how are you thinking about speed of the procurement process and speeding that up to make sure that you can modernize your network and in a faster way and keep up with the rapid evolutions of applications and other technology? Yeah, so I know um, we've looked at using non-conventional acquisition tools uh, We've worked really hard to get smarter using the FAR, right? The FAR is uh, very difficult uh, at times to navigate, but uh, you know, uh, Congress has heard the cries and they've worked really hard to give us a lot more um, capability within our acquisition rules to, to allow us to kind of branch out, right? And so you know, to, to the first part of your question, talking about uh, you know, software being tricky, We've also started to look internally at our organic talent, you know, specifically within the Army, right? And so you have like the Army Software Factory down in Austin, Texas, that is, you know, build, building out these cohorts of, of soldier-led teams building more software for soldiers, right? And so uh, that has also been really helpful as well, because then, then you're not quite as stuck to the acquisition cycle, and, and you're, you're freed up to to look around and say, okay, like what problems can we solve? Uh, and especially when you have an organic talent like soldiers doing it, uh, then you don't have to be quite as prescriptive with, okay, here's your deliverables, here's what you need to give us, right? You can kind of say, hey, uh, you know, team of soldiers, we need you to go look at this problem set and figure out how to solve it. And because we've upskilled you, you now have the talent to do it natively. Uh, and we've also found that, um, you know, they're, they're much more motivated as well because they're solving their fellow soldiers' problems. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point and a, a lot of good work coming out of the software factory down in Austin. So uh, always great to highlight that. Colton, great conversation, great insights. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, Billy. I appreciate you guys having me. You can learn more about the Army's network monetization journey at the dailyscooppodcast.com. As the White House recently rolled out its new national cybersecurity strategy, Department of Energy Chief Information Officer Ann Duncan was in Croatia for a meeting of the Partnership for Transatlantic Energy and Climate Cooperation. A key pillar of the cyber strategy is to forge international partnerships to pursue shared goals. I spoke with Duncan while she was overseas, where she explained to me what her biggest takeaways were from the national cybersecurity strategy. Probably the two biggest takeaways 
really big picture takeaways are that we have to rebalance the responsibility to defend uh, our assets uh, or from a cybersecurity standpoint. Too much of it right now falls on individual small businesses and local governments. Um, and, you know, as someone who's worked in, in, in local government, and I worked, you know, in, in a really well-funded school district in a really well-funded county, but yet still, it was a huge burden for us. Um, and it's a huge burden for individuals, as you probably, as we all know, uh, and small businesses that, that just can't do that. So, so part of the point of the strategy is to shift the burden onto organizations that are most capable and best positioned to reduce risk for all of us. Because again, all those, you know, those, those folks that don't have the capability and the capacity are, are, are either, either their own systems are getting compromised in a way that impacts all of us, you know, think about hospitals and fire departments and police departments and schools, um, or they're putting the rest of us at risk by creating conduits. So we, we have got to, to help those folks. And that's one of the goals of the, of the strategy. And the other one is we, we need to realign our, our efforts um, to take a long view. So, you know, we talk a lot in DOE about um, risk-based approaches to cybersecurity, uh, you know, because we get tons of mandates from all over the federal government that say, do this, do this, do this, do this. And some of them do a lot to reduce our risk. Some of them don't do a lot to reduce our risk um, because we've already done, they put compensating controls in place or for a variety of reasons. Um, and so we take this risk-based approach where we say, what's the likelihood and the impact? And we're gonna attack those things that are bigger and badder first. And we have a different approach in the nuclear security side than we do in the open science side. I think getting that focus of looking at the future, you know, not always reacting to the to the most urgent threat all the, I mean, we have to react to things that are, that are happening right now. Um, and that's part of that risk-based equation, but also part of the risk-based equation is looking out at the long term and making sure we're investing our time, energy, and resources in things that are going to be strategic, um, to make us resilient in the future. So that's things like, um, security by design. So one of the things that, that we, I was talking about today, um, was security by design. How do we, you know, we sort of gotten that idea of security by design into um, software, mm-hmm. right? With DevSecOps and everything, but and we're not there yet, mind you. The idea is there, the practice is all over the map. But we now need to look at that more in hardware products because let's be clear, all those hardware products have software and firmware in them. You know, and if they don't have software, they at least have firmware. Um, and there's risks associated with those um, that are a lot harder to secure when we get done. So um, creating that long-term security, long-term resiliency for, say, the grid um, or for our federal networks um, requires us to look at how we're designing our hardware products, uh, how our vendors are designing hardware products, and to make sure that they, that design builds in security rather than bolting it on later, just like we've been talking about in software for quite a while. So those concepts, you know, about how do we make things secure in the long term? How do we get more resilient? How do we get people that we don't want in our supply chain out of our supply chain? That's a long, right? It's a really long-term view. If you start talking about cybersecurity and supply chain, you say there's manufacturing that needs to be reshored. There's um, supply chains that need to be redesigned if we don't want to run some of the same risks now that we've run, you know, we've, we've seen this movie before yeah. <laughs> with other players and, and let, how do we not see this movie again 
with new players. Um, so those those are sort of the things that 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 I think this strategy helps us is trying to reposition us to not just react to the latest EO. I mean, we're going to react to those EOs. We're going to react to binding operational directives, you know, vulnerability disclosures, all those things. But how do we keep our focus at the same time and, you know, create a future where, um, we, you know, our, where, we're, where our systems are defensible, where um, we're resilient and where we're aligned with our values? Um, because obviously there are things we can do to secure our assets that aren't aligned with our values. Uh, of how we want to operate in this country. So to me, uh, that's what I pick out of, of having been sort of in there in the background, listening to those sausages being made and, and having the, hearing those conversations. Those are the things I think that we're trying to accomplish. And I think the strategy aims us in that direction. Um, it's up to us to actually implement it that way yes. because you can always implement it badly. So, <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, you know, in speaking about the supply chain, I, I had a question. One of the questions um, was that I had for you specifically about, you know, vendors and procurement and, you know, particularly how the strategy hones in on that as a lever to improve cybersecurity and kind of in a more strong, heavy way than perhaps in the past. And, you know, using things such as the False Claims Act and things like that to maybe hold vendors more accountable to um, being secure with government software and things of that nature. So I'm just curious on the procurement front, you know, as a CIO, how is the, the how are you reading into the strategy and how that might evolve the way you think about working with your partners? So, yeah, I don't, we, we have not, at least in DOE, there may be some other places where we, we've not really had the opportunity yet to bring our procurement partners into this conversation um, in, in, in depth. So I think that for us, one of the one of the real challenges uh, is writing policy that can be implemented um, across DOE, right? Because of the um, model we have, so we have plants and sites which are procured through traditional manner, right? So, so like the cleanup sites and the production plants, those are traditional procurements of large contracts, and then we've got. FFRD, FFRDCs, the national labs, uh, mm -hmm. which have a different contract model. Um, and we have to figure out how do we translate what we want to do in terms of making better, more secure choices about supply chains and about vendors into all those models. And, and they're implemented differently in each of those models. Um, so it's depending upon which which hat we're wearing and which model we're trying to implement, it's going to change how we interact with our partners across the enterprise in terms of, of making those procurement changes. But I think, you know, the, the most important part is that we apply those, that we, that we talk to each other about what the principles are and what we're trying to achieve, right? And that we're trying to achieve um, a secure supply chain. We're trying to achieve um, resilient uh, federal networks, federal systems, and uh, a grid, and and then work to figure out how we implement that in the rules. And I'm certain that we will get, you know, some additional guidance on how to do that, whether whether as a direct sort of EO thing or more likely as as some, some guidance from procurement councils as they work through the organization. Um, but I think ours is particularly complex, uh, and it is going to require a partnership. You know, I think I think that goes to the, the whole conversation that we're wrestling with about software building materials. 
we don't have the tools in place really to do that right right now. And so that's that's you know that's a huge challenge of how do you how do you gather that information? How do you get vendors to gather, disseminate that information, and keep it up to date, and do it all in a manner that's automated uh, sufficiently that that we can things can be quickly shared and flagged. So there are huge challenges out there about about how we operationalize some of the supply chain stuff for sure. This call for action to OMB to lead this multi-year plan to accelerate tech modernization on the civilian mm-hmm. side. So. Um, Curious if you know more about that or, you know, how you're responding to, you know, that or if that's something that's just very early on at this point. Uh, it's pretty early. I don't have a ton uh, of information, but I think, you know, what I'll say is we all know that um, modernization is certainly a key to making this easier. Um, that I think it's I think we have, you know, we've been trying, we've been having these conversations um, and I haven't been having it with you because you haven't been around all the time yeah. <laughs> and I haven't been around all the time. You've been fit fit. So, but um, you know, we have these conversations back in 2013. How do we get our system, federal systems modernized? And I would argue that we've had some great wins since then, um, but we've had a lot of parts of the organization in the federal government that have made little progress. Um, it's because they haven't had sufficient funding, whether it's because they haven't approached it the right way, um, there hasn't been the will to do it, you know, whatever it may be in the various parts of the organization. Some of these problems are just really, really hard um, when you talk about products where you are these, you know, the, the, there's there's a customer base of one. Um, so these are going to be rebuilt by the government no matter what. It's much easier when it's like, oh, I need a grants management solution. I need a uh, HR solution. Those are those are easier. But we still don't have those modernized in a lot of places either. So. I think anything, I think, so first of all, acknowledging that, that those are a barrier to good cybersecurity, that they are a weakness that we have, and then uh, using this, this strategy to help move that forward, um, I think is, is valuable. I mean, Claire Martirano, the federal CIO, who I know you know, mm-hmm. um, is incredibly committed uh, to helping us modernize our IT infrastructure, our IT services, all the enterprise applications out there. And to um, making them much more friendly to both federal users and the public in the process. Um, so I think this is really well aligned um, with where Claire wants to go, with where um, I would like to see us go, because this is something that I've been after for a decade now. Hard to believe that I've been <laughs> tilting at this windmill for a decade. Yeah. Um, time flies. But honestly, we've got to do it. And any levers that we provide to move departments and agencies forward in this space, both those that have the will and, and haven't figured out how to get there and those that are kind of, you know, looking around and going, maybe if I just ignore this long enough, it'll go away. We all need to move forward. And, uh, you know, this, this, this should be a help uh, in, that, in that direction. Um, and, you know, we're certainly going to engage and, and, if, and assuming we're invited, uh, going to engage in that process of figuring out what that looks like. You can learn more about the National Cybersecurity Strategy and the Department of Energy's role at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll talk to you again Thursday afternoon. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.